Hi, I'm Must Reader, and this is my podcast on rationality, transhumanism, and trends of development of society and tech. Today, here with me is the man touted as the most connected human on Earth and the mindful cyborg, Chris Dancy. Hi. Chris, hi. Hi, Greg. Nice to be here. Thank you for being on the show. Many of our viewers are now wondering, what the hell does it mean? Who is the most connected human on Earth? What, what does it mean? It's so weird. So if I were to go back 10 years, well, maybe 12 years, I had just turned 40, and it was 2008. And I was, spent my whole life on computers, like everyone does now. Mobile phones for 10 years, and laptops and PCs. And at the time, I realized, why don't I know as much about my life as the computer? I mean, the, the computer knows everything. If I go to my history, everything is there. So I had this idea that I should be able to search my life like I search my computer history, you know, delete the porn, right, delete the bad food, all the things you would find in a history, but for myself. So I slowly started, anytime I touched anything digital, a record went to a repository that I could look at. By 2012, I had four years worth of information in a system, and I was at a conference, and there was a person behind me and he saw my screen with all this information on it. He said, what is that? I said, it's my life. And that person was a reporter for a magazine. So slowly but surely, people started finding out what I was doing. And it's not complicated at all. I mean, we've all had days where we don't remember, like, what did I do yesterday? You know, life goes so fast. Or you have a bad habit you do over and over again. Or you have a relationship that seems okay, but you don't know why you feel bad. Well, data underpins all of those things. So I spent you know, the last 10 years making sure everything I do gets saved and fed back to me in a way to help me be, at first, more productive. Second stage was more healthy, and the third stage was more kind. Can you provide some examples of such data? Yeah. Um, well, some of the earliest things that had to do with just being productive were a lot of times when we have a job to do on our computers, we can get distracted really easy. And what I found was if I really needed to get something done, I needed to have certain types of music playing. And it had to be music that I'd never heard before. Because if I was listening to music, I knew my mind would wander. Distraction. It was terrible. And one day I, I, had a, I hit the wrong playlist and I started playing and I was super productive and I couldn't figure out why. And I looked at all my data, looked at all my data, a couple weeks went by, same thing. I was, had some strange Japanese music on or something. So productive. So I started to think, hmm, there's something to this. So every time I needed to focus, I used sign of some strange music. But then simple things like I would wake up in the middle of the night all the time and I didn't know why. And it turned out that the sensors in my room were capturing noise. So in the middle of the night, my neighbor would come home and their lights would shine through my bedroom from the window and the car door would shut. And I wouldn't know. I would just wake up and think, gosh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I sleep? So, I mean, there's so many examples I could probably share with you through this interview. But I guess the most important thing is never attribute that there's something wrong with you when maybe there's something wrong with the world. So we should all measure stuff going on with us Absolutely. and around us Absolutely. to find out what's wrong. Well, to understand what's right also. Um, you know, it's easy today when you're online and on your phone to hate technology, hate Facebook, hate 
Telegram, hate WhatsApp, to be angry at how these companies use our information and use our lives. What's hard is to think, why am I not doing that? Why am I, why don't I know what I put online? That's hard. No one wants to really think about that. And I think if you're, if you're younger, I'd say maybe if you're under 40 and you don't spend a certain amount of time every week looking at your life, looking at it and figuring out why do you do the things you do, you're really throwing a lot of valuable time away. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I think we, sh- we need an icebreaker. Yeah. Um, I heard that you have a habit of reading other people's phones. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was called phone palm string. Palm string, yeah. So can you please do that for me? Sure. Do you want me to read your phone? Yeah, please do. You didn't mess with it, did you? No, I didn't. Okay. It's just as it usually is. So I'll tell you how I do it as I go through, and then, and I'll explain what I'm doing as I do it. So anyone can do this. This is not something I do. I encourage everyone to do it. You can do this at home. And why you might want to consider doing it is, if you don't know someone or you know someone well, switching phones and allowing them to see your home screen is a really fast way for them to get to know you. Can I see yours? Yes, absolutely. So... The idea is you don't want to open anything. You just want to look at it and try to figure out if you found this phone on the side of the road, who was the person? So I call it phone palm reading, kind of like a palm reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first thing I do is I look at the actual device and you know, you've got some chips and some yeah. scratches. <laughs> and, uh, it's not the latest model, it's, uh, so it's good. So the first thing I would say is you're someone who... Um, You respect something that works. You don't give up on people. You're loyal. Uh, you keep things in your life if they serve you, even if they've got some bumps and breaks. Uh, it's gotten you in trouble because there are some people you should have gotten rid of, but you didn't. Um, and the next thing I do is I kind of look at the layout of the design. So for yours, you've got obviously two areas, uh, a left and a right areas, okay? Yeah. Um, are you right-handed? Right-handed. Okay. So the things coming in from the right are the things we're naturally gifted at, if you're right-handed. So for you, you've kind of got uh, two, different no- or two different apps have to do with knowledge. You've got an elephant and a, and a book tab, and this is the pocket app. And what that shows me is you really value knowledge. And also Storytel, the audiobook service. Yeah, yeah, but you have to look at where the thumb comes. Ah, here. So, right, so your thumb would go right over the up. Now the elephant icon for the app is the most powerful one to have on your home screen because it shows that you have a really long memory. You also uh, value kind of institutional knowledge, learning from other people. Very, very provocative. But if you look down underneath your pocket, you have the Todoist app. And if you notice, both those apps have arrows pointing downward. So for you, what you're trying to say is stay focused on your goals. You know, it's good to know all this, but stay focused on your goals. Also on your, on your phone, you have what's called perspective. So your wallpaper moves when you move your phone. Mm-hmm. You see how it kind of moves around? Yep. Um, so that's a, the technical term is parallax. Um, so what that means is you also thrive in change. You love when everything's going crazy. Everyone falls apart, but you keep going and you just, you, like you run through things and make them super, super good. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by your phone, I can tell... 
that you are a biohacker. Yeah. <laughs> because you have apps for measuring your health uh, yeah. and all those uh, things. I heard that uh, you measure 700 uh, parameters. Well, Is that true? In 2012, it was over 700. So it's much more than that now. So when you think about how much you can measure about your life, oftentimes we just think, well, I have a phone. Well, no. That's too simple. So you have to think of things along four different areas. Um, devices and sensors. So a phone is a device and it's a sensor. right? But you could just have a sensor in your home that just measures sound. right? Yeah. It doesn't do much more than that. So in that case, it's just a sensor. What makes it a device after it's a sensor is it has multiple purposes. And then after devices and sensors, you have applications and services. So Facebook is an application, Dropbox is a service. Right? So a service functions as like a bridge between applications. So then you have to start saying, okay, I know kind of the, the portfolio of things that I have connected to me or in my life. I'm sure you do too. Then you have to say, what do they know about me? So at a base, everything knows what time something happens. Everything, right? That's how all technology works. Up a level from time, everything knows where something happened because of GPS sensors. Yeah. Above that, everything knows what activity is going on. So right now, your phone knows you're sitting. If you were to stand up and take a step, your phone would know you took a step. Yeah, and it also knows the time at the studio, yes. filming studio. So it knows the time at the studio and you're sitting. Next level is environmental. Your phone knows how loud it is, how bright it is. Uh, if it can see the internet, it knows the temperature and humidity. Yep. Next level is behavior. Your phone knows you're not doing anything right now. If you have this on the calendar, it knows you're in an appointment. And I could go on and on and on. And then the last level beyond that is biology. So phones will know how much you stepped, how much you've slept. If you wear sensors, it would know biological things about you. So if you take the four areas of your life, spread across the six areas of data spectrum, you start to compound the possible number of connections you have inbound and outbound. If you just look at the behavior layer, like listening to music or watching TV, spending money. So now what you do with all that is you say, okay, if I'm at the bar and it's after 11 p.m. and I've spent over $40, cut off my credit card. And you've, you've done that. I've done that. Well, I did that in 2012. Right? So the thing was, once you start to like systematically look at the power that you have, that no one's giving to you, Right? No one's showing you how. None of these, they're just taking. So I try to help people really understand that don't get caught up in all the information. Think of one thing you really care about and figure out how to measure it and start from there. I think it's really worth noting that Chris uh, was uh, 300, over 300 yeah. pounds several years ago, yeah. unhappy, alcoholic, suicidal. Suicidal, 300 pounds. I'd been on antidepressants my entire life. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I was on all sorts of blood pressure medicine. Oh my gosh, I mean, everything. I, just, I was angry all the time. Uh, and slowly over the 10 years of me learning to collect the information about myself and use it, all of those things went away. So I'm really fortunate. That's great. You're also called not only the most connected human, but also a mindful cyborg. <laughs> What does it mean? Do you have chips implanted in you? No, I think that's lazy. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me if I have chips in my body. I know you don't, but... I don't. No, no, no. And I think the reason is really simple. You know, technology can make life easy or it can make life good. 
And if you're using technology and life is easy, like order a car, come, come get me car and they show up. Come get me lunch and food comes. That's easy. It's not good. Not necessarily good. No. Because what happens is you get used to just demanding things. You get used to having things should just appear. So the mindful cyborg really came into existence about five years into my health and journey because I got so depressed because I was super thin. I was going to the gym. I, I was making lots of money. Everything was perfect, but I was still unhappy. And it, and it dawned on me that I really wasn't focusing on the one thing I had to do, which was be comfortable inside my head. And being comfortable inside your head means using technology in a way that connects you to other people who, even if you don't like them, right? Other people are what make you, I hate to say it, but better, right? And, and so the Mindful Cyborg is really about learning to be okay with being uncomfortable in any situation. Um, the term Mindful Cyborg is simple. Mindful means I'm non-judgmental moment by moment, right? I'm not thinking, oh, I don't like that, oh, I don't like that, or I like this, oh, when is this going to be over? Non-judgmental, moment by moment. Cyborg, any organism, living thing that's enhanced, and can be shoes make you a cyborg. So a mindful cyborg, non-judgmental, moment by moment. For example, I use a plug-in on my Facebook so it removes dates, it removes times, it removes likes, it removes comments, because I want to be friends with people, not popularity. So technology does an amazing job to make our judging systems work faster because I don't like that, I don't like that. But that's not, that's easy. It's not good. I see, but you still use a lot of <laughs> devices. Oh, yeah, Can you absolutely. Uh, tell me what, are you, what you are wearing right well, now? I brought you a whole bunch for, to play with because I thought it'd be kind of fun for us to unpack them and talk about them and what they do. Would you like to see them? Let's do this. Let's do it. All right. Bring them, please. You're watching Kanishni Chell. Make sure you subscribe, like, and comment, and be connected. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay? That, that was great. <laughs> you don't have your own YouTube blog. No. That's a feature. I know. I just... I don't know. Because they, um, they can get overwhelmed really easy. And if you make something look too easy and they fail, they hurt. I understand, but I'm sure you would cope with uh, yeah, yeah. making it all like responsibly. Yeah, I do, and I think the part of the problem is I'm too sensitive. You know what I mean? I just I think too much about how other people feel when they're online, because I know how I felt. I literally measured it. So for me, like even with the Facebook, just using Facebook without all the numbers, your mind is like, because suddenly you can't use Facebook. You're like, I don't. You don't even know what you're looking at. Because you don't realize you're looking at numbers till they're gone. No instant gratification with likes and stuff like that. Oh, it's not even that. That's obvious. But like the date something was posted is so important. Once you don't see dates, you think, how am I functioning? Because, you know, is it even important? <laughs> so for me, I always look at like the date and then the number of comments and then the number of likes. And then I look at what it is, is it a, a picture or some text or an emoji? So my mind does all of these calculations before I just pay attention. You know what I mean? It's, it's such an important thing to understand about our minds because what happens is then we go out into the real world and our minds are working super fast to decide what's good and what's bad and we don't understand why we feel alone. 
right? But you've literally trained your mind to judge. Oh, okay. Oh, where is everybody? You judge them all away. Well, that's an interesting thought. Okay, show me your gadgets. <laughs> all right, so some gadgets. So I have a little fun case here. And uh, in the case, we have some uh, little things. So the first thing is I get a book every year, and every year this book is printed, and it has all of my data in it for the year. So it kind of shows you a, a breakdown of the months you were in, some of the places you went and things you did. And then each month shows you the, your location history, yeah. All right. And then it shows you kind of how you spent your time and your apps. And then what you did when you were sleeping, when you were busy, etc. So it's an entire, it's like Facebook, but real. <laughs> <laughs> so every year that gets created. Um, but then the sensors themselves are really fun. So there's two types of sensors. There are sensors that are more for the outside of your body to measure and enhance the world around you, and then sensors for the inside of your body. So we'll do the inside ones first, because they're kind of fun and interesting. So some of these are pretty standard equipment you'd get at like a hospital or something. So we've all uh, probably had our blood pressure taken by a doctor, but this is just a portable blood pressure cuff that goes on your wrist. Um, can I try it? Absolutely, it's not gonna power up right now, <laughs> but you can put it on your wrist. So. Yeah, so wrap the hard part around the bottom. Around the bottom? Yeah, yeah. Here, let me show you. Like this? No, no, so the, it's got a little weird cuff. See this part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now. Ah. There you go. So this measures my blood pressure. Blood pressure. Oh. And then this one will measure your blood oxygen and your heart rate. So you're going to want to put your finger in there like this. Okay. And just sit for a minute till it registers. And I always tell people, take a couple deep breaths. So how are you doing? Oh, good. So your blood oxygen, that's how much oxygen is going into your blood from your breath. 99%, super good. Heart rate, 88. That might be the lights, but it's a little yeah, high. I'm always nervous on really? in interviews. Yeah. You do great. Thanks, but uh, it's just uh, always like that. Really? I've had uh, hundreds of interviews. Really? And you're always a little always okay. anxious. But that's good. Good. Uh, and this is, um, it does temperature across your head. Mm -hmm. So that one's hard to wear. And uh, then, should I press a button? Uh, yeah, it just, it's, it's not going to come out uh, right now. Okay. And then this one does EKG. So if you want to see how your heart is doing, we can go ahead and launch the app. And then what it's going to do is, when you put it on, you're going to want to lay this underneath the phone like this and put your fingers on it like this. Uh, so let's take that off for a yep. second. And just, again, all you have to do is lay two fingers on the bottom and you'll start to get an EKG in a second. All right. Wow. And it, the, yeah, the more still you sit, the more uh, accurate the EKG. Okay. There you go. Oops. Yeah, so keep like two fingers right on the bottom. Rest both them real hands. Soft. Yep, both hands. Just so like, there you go. Okay. So it's taking a minute to stabilize. There, it's getting stable now. And that's what you want. You want a, that's called a sinus wave, and you just want that really even wave. And what's nice is the, the latest Apple Watch will do this natively inside the watch. So while you're doing yours, I can do mine, and we can have a double EKG right here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then what that'll do is that I'll take that reading and send it for a report. And what I'll do is I'll do a screenshot and send you a heart selfie. Heart selfie. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so you do this uh, every day? Yeah. How many times? Uh, once in the morning, once at night, depending on the day. If I'm traveling, it's a little bit harder. And then these are so much fun. So these are more kind of, I would say, fun sensors. So this one clips underneath your belt, mm-hmm. and it goes against your waist, mm-hmm. and it measures your respiration. So as you breathe in and out, mm-hmm. it keeps track of how you're breathing all day long. Super. What I like about this is you don't see it, so it's just underneath. Um, this is an older sensor. It's about three years old now. This one was really cool. So this, unlike most sensors, is a special sensor. So what it does is your body moves because of electrical impulses that are going from your brain all through your body, right? It's like my brain says, finger move, and it moves. Well, there's a lot that happens in that instant. So what this does is it uses these sensors all around the ring, and when you put it on your body, it starts to measure your movement. So what good is that? Why would you want to do that? Well, let's suppose for a moment that you're working at a computer and you don't want to type in front of the keyboard or you don't want to use a mouse. You can just point and move windows. Or if you have a smart home and you want to turn up the sound, you could link this to that so you could just do this and the sound would go up. Or if you want to turn down the <laughs> lights, turn down the lights. So it's like recording a behavior because it takes the muscleological signal and matches it to what you want it to do. So it could be different for everyone. So you pre-program it uh, yes. to perform certain things. Exactly. Uh, so it's just one of those really bizarre little fun sensors you can use. But this has the risk of uh, limited activity from your side. Absolutely. If you don't move, <laughs> you just wave uh-huh. your finger. Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll call the police, right? Um, this also is an older, so this was a specialized camera sensor. So you would just wear this on your clothes, and it takes a picture every few minutes. And what's nice about this is there are some places you can't have cameras, but they don't know that this is a camera. I heard Stephen Wolfram is doing also similar things. He's been tracking for a long time, too. Um, Yeah, he's interesting. So, And then this fun little guy is called a capture. And what this sensor does is you wear it on your wrist. And a lot of these now are getting to be super old because of the technology that's advancing so fast. Everything we've talked about, you can do in the watch. Apple Watch. Apple, or just yeah. the Samsung Apple Watch. watch. Yeah, well, I, I, some of the latest ones will do EKGs, I think. But this is called a capture, and this is like a regular little band. Oops. But what's nice about this is while you're out, if you hear something you really like, you just double tap, and it saves the last one minute of speech to your phone. Wow. So it's always recording, but it doesn't save until you. That's interesting. So you missed something. Uh, Maybe yeah, an important thing, or someone gave you instructions, you don't want to, so you you just tap, and you save it, and you can listen to it later. And then this is called a Muse, and this is a Muse version 2. And what this does is it goes on your forehead, and it measures your brain waves, and it trains you to be more calm, because when you're thinking really fast, you hear waves crashing. But when you slow down, it gets real quiet, and you hear birds chirp. Does it have, uh, like, uh, earplugs? There's sensors. Well, you wear uh, headphones if you want to hear the sound. But go ahead and put that on. Like this? Yeah. Um, Put... No, no. Let me show you real quick. (laughs) It's okay. 
So you're just gonna put this part over the middle of your front uh, and put these parts behind your ear, almost like a little dog. Mm -hmm. So way back here. See that? And then you're gonna squeeze it in real hard, okay? Okay. And then we'll start the re recording so you can see your brain. And you'll have a brain selfie. <laughs> I squeeze on the forehead, right? Yeah, uh, squeeze, yes. Make the whole thing tight, like grab the back. There you go. And we'll know when you're, when you got it because these sensors all light up. That's good. I think behind your ears is still a little loose. You got the two, three in front, now the two behind are still a little loose. Almost, you got, oh, you got them all. See, okay, now you gotta, don't move. So it's showing you your delta waves, your theta waves, your alpha waves, and your beta waves, and your gamma waves. So let me go ahead, don't move. I'm gonna just a brain selfie. All right, now we got a brain selfie. Wow. So this is, just, this is just showing us the raw data. The actual app for it will play the sound so you can hear the birds chirping and all of that. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Where's your Google Glass, by the way? <laughs> I still have it. Um, it's at home. It still works. You can still do simple things with it, like uh, take pictures. Uh, one of the things I like about Google Glass was just like the app you tap, with Google Glass you could wink and it would take a picture. So you could walk around looking at nice looking people and go and, and actually take a picture of them. They think you're just being sexy and smiling, winking, but you can do that. Um, it just, it, I think glasses are kind of where the future is going just because camera tech is becoming so prolific. The other thing I liked about Google Glass, and again, if you never had them, it's weird. Now you're making me think I should carry them, is it had a temporal interface. And what I mean by that was when you look at the screen, it shows you like right now, like the time and okay glass. But then if you swipe the side of Google Glass, it shows you the past, like pictures you just took, text messages, and you can kind of swipe through your day like that. But what's really cool is you swipe forward, it shows you the future. So the weather in one hour, how mm. long your battery is going to last. So I loved Google Glass in that way because a lot of times we don't think about tech as a time machine, but it really is. Is this goofy? <laughs> Modern technology is indistinguishable from magic. I think somebody said that. Yeah, and it's true. Uh, I think a lot of times, I teach a whole class on um, magic and technology. So yes, <laughs> I'm a connected, quantified self, biohacker, mindful cyborg, but... I also am a practicing techno-pagan, so I do a lot of spells and witchcraft with technology for the last two years. Techno-pagans, seriously? Techno-pagans, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big deal. Uh, there's a lot of them. But haven't you ever sent someone a text message and when you hit send, you have a feeling? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So that's just like ritualized magic. And a lot of times in magic, we have this concept of sigil where you imprint a feeling onto a symbol. So what I do is I've created sigils that have kind of things I want to happen and I send them to people. They're just emoji. People think they're something special. They don't know that the emoji is like a thing. Um, and I was in a, a tech admin, so when I have to change someone's password, I change it to a phrase that's kind of magical to make them do things. It's just fun. I don't know. It's a, and I think a lot of times we believe when we're using technology, we almost believe that there's this power inside of it. So... I, for me personally, to extend my mindfulness practice, it really came down to um, how do I exercise a little bit of esotericism, kind of the secret world, while I'm using tech. And it's fun. Like palm reading your phone is magic. 
That's unconventional. It's very unconventional. <laughs> but it makes it's better than worrying about who's tracking your data. I feel that you are a techno optimist, mm. but many people are not, and they say that it's uh, a doomsday coming for us all. Facebook, Google, Amazon, they know everything about us. They can manipulate us, make us um, take decisions that are not ours, uh, elect leaders that are not uh, ours, yeah. buy things that are not necessary. Yeah. What would you answer? I try to be non-digitally dualistic. And it's very easy because of the world we live in and how we approach our interfaces, whether a phone or a watch or a TV, to become dualistic. It's good or it's bad. No in-between, it's just good or bad. So for me, I had to make a very conscious choice and be very deliberate about when I use technology to use it for good, just like magic, when we were talking about magic, right? So is it good magic or black magic? But not everybody is mindful and conscious. They will be. They will be. Because the problem is right now, these big companies are doing things to change our relationships with each other and the world around us. Um, and I think what's happening is we're getting three new classes of people. You have the highest class of people with the most amount of attention coming from others. And those people can make a living and they can... Uh, be successful without ever being online. That's the highest class of people right now. The second highest class of people right now are people who were, who were online, who became very popular, but got in trouble, and then they were deplatformed. So they're not on any of the social mm. networks anymore. And believe it or not, they're the most powerful right now because people want to see them and they can't. So any message they get out, everyone goes crazy. It's like those right-wing uh, bloggers. They're uh, all going to be very powerful. If you want to be super popular in the future, get deplatformed now. <laughs> and then the third least powerful group of people in the world right now are the popular people. I mean, we think that the popular people, the influencers, are carrying all the weight, but they're really the working class of the digital network. Can you name examples of the first group? The people who were super successful without being online? I think I am. I mean... I don't have a big social following. A lot of people don't know who I am, but I'm very successful even though I don't... The technology isn't watching me. You know what I mean? Well, but you are online. You use but you would, all this stuff. It, it's, You're very online. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not creating content for online. I see. Yeah. And I think, again, Jeff Bezos. You know, anyone yeah. who you see with a flip phone, anyone you see who says they're taking a digital holiday... If Jeff can, Bezos uses a flip phone? No, but Anna Wintour does. But you don't see Jeff Bezos tweeting out every day or sharing his life or anything like that. So again, the way I think about it is these kind of a proletariat, you know, if you go back, you know, there's a digital proletariat now, and literally the people who are the new proletariat are the most influential people online. What we don't realize is they're doing all the work, right? Because they're creating all the content. You would think that makes them more powerful than the people who are consuming their content. But in reality, the people who are like the new influencers are kind of this deplatformed crew. Because I think the deplatformed middle class is going to become the new upper class. How? Huh. I think we're looking at two possible not good scenarios. One is governments and institutions come in and segment the internet. So for example, I'm visiting Moscow, I can't use LinkedIn. If you use VPN, you if can. If I use a VPN, yeah. I use VPN all the yeah, time. Yeah. 
And again, I, I use a VPN too, but that's just one example. If I go to Europe, because of GDPR, there are a lot of websites I can't see. It just says cannot see. So this concept of a splinter net is very real. And we don't quite understand how it's going to affect someone's income yet, right? So people think it's not that big of a deal because they VPN or something. But the reality is most people who don't know how to VPN are just blocked. Yeah, of course it's a big deal, especially yeah. in China. Well, let's not even go there, <laughs> right? That's a whole other story. And right? Russia is uh, slowly heading towards the same direction, sadly. I, well, I hope not. Uh, well, I too. want nothing but the best for Russia. But I think this is where I think the, the other side of this comes in. Is if, you, if you don't look at the splinter net and you look at the other outcome, the other outcome is not good, but it's actually more powerful. And I think what's going to happen is content creators and kind of that middle class, the de-platform class, are going to create a new internet, a new way of connecting, something very peer-to-peer, You'll notice a lot of the new phone advances are all doing machine learning on device. So something is going to come out of the next five years. We'll have to set an alarm and watch this video five years from now, <laughs> where people will have a way of communicating each other that goes outside of the big companies, and then people will go there. The problem is in unregulated communities, think 4chan, those yeah. types of communities, it's also the Wild West. So it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out, but... All you really have to do is follow maybe Jack Dorsey, uh, CEO of Twitter, and you'll see he's a huge quantified selfer, and he's already talking about what replaces the metrics in the future. And I think if you're sharing something online and your phone has an idea how you're feeling, the more authentic you are, the higher it goes without anyone liking it. Do you understand? If you're authentic, nobody likes you? No. So you know how right now a lot of metrics online are driven by Uh, popularity from other people engaging with stuff, or they're driven by context. So you like these types of things, so we're going to show you that. Yeah, algorithms of Facebook. I believe we're heading toward a time when those algorithms are disliked by the public because they see them as exploitive. Mm -hmm. And how content will get to you is if it was created in partnership with your phone. So for example, when you were holding that EKG and if your body knew that you were excited when you shared something, it would automatically go to the top. We do this now, but we don't think about it. Are you on Facebook? Yeah, but I don't like it. I prefer Telegram. Exactly. So on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, you already know how to game the system. So if you want people to see your post, you tag them. If you really want to see them to see your post, you put a picture of you. If you really want them to see your post, you tag them, you put a picture of you, and you add feeling. Emotion. Yeah, Yeah. so you keep adding more and more data to it to, and people do this without even knowing it sometimes, to jack up their feed into other people's feeds. I believe the systems are going to start to offer to do that for us. And then people will be having performative emotions. Uh, you know, they'll learn to get themselves excited. We're already seeing this in small ways. You know, just three or four years ago, everyone was watching unboxing videos. You know, and what's great about an unboxing video? I don't have to buy it. I get to have all the joy of buying it, and I don't have to spend the money. And then after that, you had this rise of esports. What's what's happening? We, you know, two years ago, everyone started watching other people playing games. They weren't playing the games. It's very popular in Russia as well, right? And then just last year, we saw the rise of reaction videos finally became mainstream. So now you can watch someone watching something, so you don't even have to have the reaction. So okay, I don't have to do the shopping. I don't have to play the game, and I don't have to watch the, the movie. I can watch someone watch the movie and see how it makes them feel. 
right? So this idea of like off, offloading or sideloading our emotions is provocative and it's pervasive through the internet right now. But we don't see it like that. We just see it as entertainment. And I think what's going to happen as we create more content for the internet and other people to consume and we get away from the algorithms that weigh it for us, it's going to look at this very intimate information. Were you passively creating this or did you actively have a lot of physicality? You know, runners and everyone who has like a relationship with data that's active, those types of things are going to be higher. Well, <laughs> that's really futuristic. Uh, if we return to the topic of your um, quantified self-ification, um, many people would say that uh, what you're doing is too much. Mm. That you are like a fanatic mm. that tracks everything about mm. him. Mm. Would you recommend all people do the same? Or do you think that uh, you are a bit overdoing this? Well, it's difficult because I'm on camera. So I have to show you things. If you were to be my friend and you were to spend time with me, you probably would never know. Uh, if you didn't look me up on the internet or, you know, in just spend, you, you wouldn't know. Because I... But you still do this. You measure everything. Absolutely, but you don't see me measuring the sound right now. You don't see me measuring my... Are you? Of course. You are measuring the decibels. In this room. Yeah, every, yeah it's just normal. It's part of the software. Um, but, but your question is still relevant. Should everyone be like me? So no, I don't think it's for people. I think it would be overwhelming for people. Um, but I do think we have an epidemic of people who are unconcerned with their own well-being or they're selectively concerned with their well-being, which means they wake up one day and they think, I'm poor, I'm going to get a job. Or they wake up one day and go, I'm fat, I'm going to lose weight. Or they wake up one day and go, I'm lonely, I'm going to get a girlfriend. Instead of saying, I don't know who the hell I am, I'm going to figure that out. And I think that is actually really important. And there's never been a time in history where there was so much opportunity to find out what, who you are. Where to start with? You know, I always tell people there's a, there's a phrase I love by a mathematician named Richard Tapia. And the phrase is, we don't know how to measure what we care about, so we care about what we measure. And it's so fundamentally simple, right? Well, I don't know what I care about, so I care about what I measure. Oh, oh yeah, I care about the things I can see. But I didn't think about what do I care about. So I think for people, you really need to start with what's important to you. If being with your friends is important to you, then you need to make every other activity around that. If being physically active is important, then you need to make every other activity around that. But you can't make it all-consuming. So for example, a lot of people who get physically healthy, I went through this stage, they'll become so healthy they don't have friends. Because when you eat good and you exercise, you can't have friends. Your friends don't eat well. Your friends don't exercise. It's impossible. You can't be friends. You're very lonely. You're damn sexy, but you're alone, right? And it's just the way it is. And, um, and I think we just need to be really conscious of that. So I always tell people, first try to think about what's important to you. You don't try to do it all. And, and the second thing I think when you're starting, this is before you even decide what you want to fix, is don't get caught up with like perfection. Your numbers are never kind of really match. So if you keep track of your steps here and you keep track of your steps there, or you sleep here and sleep there, some days they'll be different. And that's okay. 
But some people who are in the quantified self or biohackers, they get so caught up in perfection, they say, screw it. It doesn't make sense. You know, and if you're the type of person who likes to jog but won't jog unless your watch is charged, you're missing the point. And I see people all the time who won't go to the gym because their sensors are dead. Well, you're going to the gym for your muscles, not your machines, right? So this is, a, this is, this is the problem right now. So again, don't get overly concerned with what, you're, what you can measure. Think about what you care about. Don't get overly concerned with it being perfect. And the last thing is get okay with forgetting about it. Because some people who start on a journey of measurement get obsessed and they get owned by the number, their credit score, their bank account, the number of friends they have, the calories they eat. And that's okay for a short amount of time, but it's too easy to become that number without knowing it. Um, and these are all things I went through. You know, so I'm not telling you stuff I didn't do, some holes I fell into. And then once you kind of have a good mindset and you practice a few times, find something small. I always tell people the easiest thing to track about yourself that's interesting is location. Uh, How to use it? Just download an app that keeps track of where you go. Uh, a lot of times if you can see your week and you can see something simple as you know, how much time you've spent driving or on the subway or in a car versus the places you've gone, you can start to understand that. So this is me. You can see I was out walking for 34 minutes. I was uh, at my Airbnb for about 11 hours. I slept for about 10 hours and I had a 56-minute meal. But what's really nice about this is if I go back and look at the month, I can see some trends. So most of my time last month was spent with the category I called love and understanding. So that means if I spend time with someone who needs support or who supports me, I log it as that. Because it's really easy to be in your world with your devices and people. And you could be with friends, but you're all doing something that goes toward something that you all don't value. So I tell people, location is the easiest thing to track first. There's lots of apps for Google and for, for uh, iPhone that can track location. And just once a week, sit down and look at all the places. They'll show you all the places you went and think, is this who I am? And uh, what should the conclusions be? Well, be careful, because you don't want to judge yourself. So uh, I was just in Pittsburgh, and I was talking at a college. And a lot of college kids at Pittsburgh, uh, iPhone and Android now have this app called Screen Time. It shows you how you spend yeah. your time. And kids are like shaming each other, like, oh my God, look how much time you're on Snapchat. And that's hard because you don't ever want to compare yourself to someone else digitally. Because if you're away from home, maybe Snapchat is the only way you have to keep up with your friends. So making it bad is not a good thing. But I think um, just be careful. I mean, if you do location, just don't overthink it. Uh, I understand you want answers and you want answers fast. But some of the best advice you'll ever get will be from yourself in the future thinking back about the past. And what I mean by that is you need the data now, even though you won't know what to do with it. And I promise you in six months, when you look at the data, you'll be like, oh, it makes sense. So for example, I see that I spent too much time in bars and, uh, to, and I don't walk, for example. Good. Don't go to the gym and start changing that behaviors. That's what Those you're are implying. super small things you can look at and change right away. But the other thing is don't look at like one day. You have to look at those types of behaviors over a month. Because if you, if you have a couple bad days, it's really easy to get discouraged. So let's say going to the gym. But you don't go to the gym for three or four days or you don't exercise for a week. You suddenly go, why bother? Actually, I'm going to have a piece of pizza. Right? So it goes downhill really fast. But if you look at that over a month, it's not as bad. 
So the newer you are at measuring, the longer the time frame is you need to look at the behaviors you want to change, or else you'll beat yourself up. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good start. Oh, and I think the sleep is also very important. Sleep is the most important. I, uh, I have a whole list of... How do you track your sleep? Oh my gosh, so many ways. So I have a sensor in the room that measures just room environmental factors, light, sound, uh, uh, humidity, um, air quality. Uh, I have a sensor that measures heart rate during sleep. I have another bed sensor that does respiration. And then the phone does movement. Right? So if you pick up your phone and notice it. So for me, all of these things work together. The most important thing for me is temperature. So my room, and I don't know in Celsius, I'm sorry, but my room needs to be like 66 degrees, which is maybe 13 or 14 in Celsius. Oh, quite it's cold. really cold. Maybe it's warmer than that. Hey, we Siri. will translate it. <laughs> What's 66 degrees Fahrenheit in Celsius? She's thinking. Um, I don't even know how I'm connected. Um, that's the most important thing. And then, I, I get... some trouble with the connection. You think so? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have unplugged. <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't get any Wi-Fi in here. But I have a whole bunch of like deliberate rest goals uh, that I keep track of. Yeah. Take rest seriously. Yes. Focus. Unbroken periods of focused work, four or five hours with 90-minute bursts. Yep. Lower, uh, layer work and rest. It's like yeah. work, rest, work, yeah. rest. Get an early start. Yep. Detach from work. Yep. Stop working. Yep. Detach from devices. Yep. So you tick them off these goals. What? What? Do no, you do? I think so. Th- this is this list is really about get plenty of exercise, get plenty of uh, drink, plenty of fluids, uh, practice deep play. So concern yourself with things that are super fun. Distract from devices is hard. So you have to remember we live in a time where people are really judging devices a lot. You don't need to unplug from a device if you have a healthy relationship from it. Right? Now, if you're laying in bed watching porn you know, next to your spouse, maybe you should detach from devices. Right? But if you're laying in bed and you and your spouse are watching something together, there's no reason. Right? I just, I'm really sensitive to like thinking things are bad. Um, but yeah, so rest is super important for me. You know, when I travel all this way to, to like Moscow, you know, I had a couple nights where I had four hours of sleep, and I had to be on stage the day you saw me with only four hours of sleep. And if I look at those, you were awesome, by the way. You're very kind. Thank you. I was so nervous, but uh, the problem or the challenge was your crowd was so smart. So I'm up on stage talking about all these things, and I could feel people like, you know, it's like when you feel that it's like it really overwhelms you. So um, okay, back to that. But like four hours of sleep one night's fine. Four hours of sleep for two nights, four hours of sleep for three nights, dangerous. So one of the things I learned the hard way was I always thought, well, I'll just go real hard and then I'll get rest. But no one tells you that you need energy to slow down. So if you're too tired, you won't fall asleep. So I always make sure I really get rest. So even here in Moscow this week, the people who had me come every day say, we need you to go do something because they want me to go out in Moscow. I'm like, I understand, but I know I need to get back on a plane, fly to another city, get on another stage, fly back to the United States, do an event there, then fly back here. So I'm almost like in hibernation mode. Am I exercising enough? No. Am I eating right? No. But I'm resting. And rest is the most important thing you can do. <laughs> uh, what's your attitude to biohacking? 
you were here for a biohacking event yeah. where we were together yeah. and uh, an impressive speech, as I already said. Many biohackers came to listen to you. Yeah. But uh, are you truly a biohacker? Uh, I don't identify with the biohacking community. Um, obviously, if I'm in the news, they call me a biohacker. They used to call me a quantified selfer. But to me, it's, it's a spectrum, right? So you kind of start off with just hacker. You know, that's just someone who uses their computer and does interesting things. And then you move up to a quantified selfer. That's stage two. And that's someone who's kind of mastered their technology in a way that's good for them. Doesn't mean they're like coding. They just know enough. And a quantified selfer then has a relationship with themselves and their data, right? So they understand how they're spending their time, how they're feeling. After that, you have biohacking. And biohacking then is where you, you understand technology, you have a relationship and, with the numbers, and now you want to make a conscious change. After that, you have literally consciousness hacking, which is where you say, okay, am I still able to do this if I don't have a body? Right? You get well, into like transhumanist yeah. type, right? So it's a spectrum. So I've always considered myself more on the transhumanist uh, camp because I don't want to live forever, but I know that my data will. Right? So, like, for example, Whitney Houston just announced they're doing a tour. Right? So they're, you know, hologram Whitney Houston's going to be. I don't think Whitney died knowing she would continue to work. Right? <laughs> and no one, you know, all your videos and everything you do is going to be on the internet long after you die. Well, I hope that they will have the technology to upload consciousness somewhere. So I that's not technically death for me. Yeah, I, I think that is. That's not hologram. That's a whole no, new No, no, and, and I think that is a good goal. Because. Even if I'm not aware of being uploaded, the pain of grief and the pain of loss, losing someone you care about, can be so significant that people take their own lives. And I do believe that having a version of yourself that someone can interact with, even in a small way. We do it now with pictures. We do it now with all sorts of things when people die. There are already apps like chatbots to speak to the dead relative. And, and I think that's so important. Now. A lot of journalists and non-serious people will say, that's terrible, that's evil, and... Immoral. Immoral, right? And no, I think making someone suffer is immoral. I think watching your mom or your dad cry every night because their husband or wife isn't alive, that's immoral. What's not immoral is helping someone get through it in a way they can. Now, if you talk to that dead relative long enough or that dead spouse and you end up wanting to fuck your phone, right, you might be at the moral stage. But I'm not, I'm not advocating for that. I'm advocating for allowing people to be wherever they are and do whatever they can to get by. Because it is tough out there. And no one is your advocate. No one. Everybody's out to get their own little piece of pie, get their own little limelight digitally. And I think we need to allow people to just be comfortable where they are. If you want to read Reddit for six hours and chat with your friends all day, fine. Nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with it is shaming someone. Technical addiction didn't kill anyone, but shame kills everyone. In your book, Don't Unplug, which is, by the way, a must read, I recommend everybody read this, uh, you tell a story of your transformation yeah. through the quantified self-movement yeah. and all those steps that you have taken. And also, it ends with finding a person you love, yeah. finding love. Yeah. Uh, you say that many things have changed with uh, love and this dating yeah. industry throughout the recent years. Yeah. Do you think that how we find partners, how we love each other, all this stuff will undergo 
drastic transformation within the coming years? I thought so at the beginning. You know, when I met my spouse, we met through an app, like a lot of people do, right? That's normal nowadays. Like, you don't even have to be ashamed. But like, just 10 years ago, you'd be like, oh my God, I met them online. You wouldn't admit it. <laughs> right? But now it's normal. You know, what I underestimated, and I'm really honest about this, and I didn't talk about this at the conference, is how adaptive the human heart is. So for example, my spouse would send me selfies when we first started dating. And I thought, this is weird. Why am I getting selfies every day? Like, I know what this person looks like. <laughs> and what I didn't know was they were live photos. So if I had pressed on the photo, my partner, my, the person I was dating at the time, my spouse now was actually doing this. So, and it really woke me up one day when I realized that just was natural. They, my, my, my spouse didn't think, oh, I'm going to do this. They just, that's how a live photo works. Whereas I am older, so my spouse is almost half my age. Very lucky, right? <laughs> um, but that's just normal. So, and I have an eight-year-old that we take care of as my spouse's sister. And when I look at Destiny, her name is Destiny. And when I look at Destiny, use her iPad and how she you know, uses TikTok and she's with her friends. And it's beautiful and they're so kind to each other. So I think in some ways, love is much different because of technology, but I don't think it's diminished. If anything, I think it's greater because there are so many things you can do now with your spouse. For example, um, I have an Amazon Alexa. You know, you talk yeah. to it. And when I, before I go away, the day before I go away, when no one's at the house, I go into Alexa and I give her all these reminders for every single day I'm gone at different times. So randomly while I'm gone, I will talk to the house. That's uh, romantic. Yeah, and uh, I, I have routines for the lights. So on, if I'm gone on a holiday or a special day, I have certain music and lights that come on and play for the family. So again, I think technology allows us to kind of extend the human heart so much further if we were to not think about all the trolling that we like to talk about, like Facebook is trolling. Yes, you know, so what? You know, are you, why aren't you interested in you? I still can't get over that. If we were as interested in ourselves as Facebook was, we'd be so happy, but we're not. We're interested in what other people are interested in. I think you're interesting. I would love to take, Thank you. I would love to take your phone and take all the apps you use and log into them on my phone and spend a day living <laughs> as you, like seeing your world through your well, apps. Likewise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I think it's such a human thing. If I could allow you to digitally be me for a day on my phone, you'd have so much empathy for me. So, you know, we, I, I look forward to a world where we slip into each other. Empathy is what the world really needs. It's really in short supply. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, uh, I all the time ask people who come here to share their favorite books. Uh, especially as far as you are concerned, I'm interested in books about technology, future, quantified self, except for your book, which is which we have already mentioned, what would you recommend reading on the topic? It's so hard because I haven't read any books like those in a really long time. Nowadays, I read a lot of history books. Um, can I pull out my list? Yep. <laughs> um, so you should, you should have a list for all the books that you have read. I, I really should, but there's so many. I mean, there's I mean, I must read two or three books a week. I'm nuts uh, just because I love books. So right now, I'm reading Drawing Down the Moon, is a history of witchcraft in America. Um, but the last book I finished was Europe History. Um, but like, I'm trying to think of a tech book. Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I can't think of a tech book that I really liked. Uh, oh, 
Bad Blood. Bad Blood. Mm-hmm. God, that was good. Did you read Bad Blood? No, but it's in my read list. Oh my God, it's so good. Especially if you like tech and you like Silicon yeah. Valley. Oh my God, it's so good. I've heard about um, it. It's uh, about uh, Theranos, right? Yeah. Yeah, Bad Blood is so good. Uh, and I've listened to everything. Um, but I'd say like the literally best book I can tell you anyone to read, and I read it about 10 years ago and reread it, and it's a book called When Things Fall Apart. It's real simple, When Things Fall Apart. And it's written by a Buddhist nun, and the whole book is about your life is terrible, it will never be good, and isn't that good? And every chapter is about just surrendering to the fact that everything sucks. And it is the most, I mean, it is mind-blowing. The more you read this book and just go, yeah, it does suck. And then slowly you start to go, it's okay. Man, sucking is good. Man, I hate everything. Yes! You know, because you start to realize, oh my gosh, that's me. Because when everything is good, you don't, you don't do much. You don't live. You got to be in pain. Well, some motivation here. <laughs> I must read that. This has been a great conversation with Chris Dancy. Thank you so much for being on the show. 